0: Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Nougat Bell podcast, all about stories of the South straight from the sources. I'm your host, Kate Robertson, and I'm based in the scenic city of Chattanooga, Tennessee. I have a passion for stories, and this is where some of the best ones get told. So join me and my guests as we talk about all things Chattanooga, life in the South, and beyond. Now pour yourself a cup of coffee, a glass of sweet tea, or a nice old fashioned, and join us. We're so glad you're here.
1: Don't worry. Okay. I get Keown a lot, which is way off. Yeah. You got got pretty close. Okay. (laughs) Is it like Irish or Scottish? It's, yeah, it's from Scottish McEwen. Okay, And when they immigrated, they took the Mac off, so they seemed more American. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. Okay. My dad's family's Scottish, too. What was... What's that name? Robertson. Oh, well, Robertson. (laughs) Obviously. It's your dad's name. You kept Um, it. (laughs) Robertson. And then there are a lot of... The town he's from in North Carolina, back when people were immigrating over, a lot of Scottish people ended there, specifically from the Isle of Skye. Oh. So cool. the town he's from and a few of the surrounding towns have a ton of Scottish heritage. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, my dad's brother and his wife went to Scotland last year and did all... They found like the Robertson, Tartan or whatever, mm-hmm. all these things. And um, they still want to go over there um, <laughs> and do the whole traditional thing. My mom's family was... Um, French prisoners who ended up in British prisons. <gasps> wow. What was her her surname? name? Um, rural North Carolina. It's Beecham. Uh-huh. But, but derived from French Beauchamp. Right. Okay. Cool. That is the last name
1: that the main character uses in Outlander. Okay. It's, it's her maiden name. And when she goes back to like 200 years ago, Scotland, mm-hmm. she can't use her married name. So she uses that name, and she says that her family's in France.
0: Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, I so there you go. I haven't watched Outlander yet.
1: You know, I'm not sure. I don't necessarily recommend it. I love the Scot the Scotland piece and the history piece mm-hmm. and the like romance and the Highlanders, but there are definitely bits that are not fit for like recommending.
0: Okay, good to know. <laughs> good to know. <laughs> um, now that. Netflix took Friends off. I'm, like, finding new things to watch. I... Oh, no. Did you get through it before they took it off? Oh, my goodness. I watched it, like, 20 times. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay, Um, I recently uh, started watching Seinfeld mm-hmm. for the first time. Okay. I've seen it, like, in bits and pieces <sighs> in reruns, but I've never actually, like, watched Seinfeld. Uh-huh. So that's next on my list. Uh-huh. And... That's a good one. Seinfeld and gosh, what was the other one? Oh, Lizzie McGuire on Disney+. Plus. Oh, I've never watched Lizzie McGuire.
1: That was, we didn't have the Disney Channel growing up. We Mm -hmm. we just weren't that fancy. And I think I was probably
0: too old for Lizzie McGuire anyway. It was on when I was in like late elementary school, early middle school. Mm -hmm. And the show is about middle schoolers. Yeah. So it was very targeted at a very specific age group. Yeah. So I'm going back and watching it and I'm like, Gosh, these people think that, like, the smallest things are the biggest problems. Sure. And the things that they're concerned with as middle schoolers, like, sure, I was concerned with those things as a 14-year-old, mm-hmm. but watching it now as a 28-year-old, I'm like, man, mm-hmm. to be 14 again, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? For that to be the biggest problem in my life, wouldn't that oh, be great. Oh my gosh, when, like, I'm going to show up and, like, someone else is going to be wearing the same shirt as me, you know?
1: Yeah. Or somebody told somebody that I like them, and I don't even like them.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so embarrassing. Did you go to elementary school with me? <laughs> uh. um, all right. Let's kick off this fabulous episode. Um, welcome back to the Nougabell Podcast. I am so excited about this episode because this is a Nougabell first tonight. I am joined by local author Audrey Cowan, and Audrey is my first author on the podcast. Hi, Kate. I'm so excited to be here and be your first author. (laughs) Oh, me too. Um, I have to give a shout out to William Glass for introducing us Mm -hmm. and giving us this wonderful connection and setting us up for this awesome conversation we're going to have about Audrey's debut novel. Yeah, very exciting. Okay, so um, how did you end up in Chattanooga? So, in
1: short, I got really lucky. Okay. Um, I want to tell you this story that i think really encapsulates my connection to chattanooga and why i love it so much and there are a lot of things to love about chattanooga that you hear about all the time like it's a great place for uh small businesses to kick off and it's it's a beautiful city there's a river and there's tons of outdoor stuff to do um and all of that stuff is wonderful and i love it but the real reason that i got connected to the city i was here when i was 17 on a trip with my parents and we were just walking around downtown and we walked that hill and I wish I knew the name, but it's like from the aquarium up toward the Walnut Street Bridge. Yes. And we were walking up there and this local woman sort of stopped and talked to us and told us about the Walnut Street Bridge. This was in 1999. Okay. So uh, she said that the bridge was falling down and The city had already slated it to be demolished, and that the community got together and raised a lot of money to save it. And it was such a beautiful story, and I could tell that it meant a lot to her. And so then we were walking across the bridge, and we got to the north end of the bridge, and we looked down, and we just saw this big, muddy construction project, and there were these huge circles in the ground, like uh, rusty colored circles and, like, yellow circles and blue. And we were like, what in the world is this? What's it going to be? And it turned out that that was Coolidge Park under oh construction. <laughs> That's how long ago it was. And Coolidge Park is also one of those stories. So it cost, like, $8 million to mm-hmm. construct, but, like, $6 million of that was raised from private funds.
0: See, add that to a list of wonderful things i love about this city
1: <laughs> yeah so it was that kind of um dedication like so in 1999 and then i moved here in 2000 okay. to um be a freshman at utc the city was already really great and beautiful but there were obviously a lot of things missing and there were a lot of parts of downtown that were just not walkable not not great to be in nothing going on i remember those times <laughs> <laughs> yeah and but i knew that i could trust this city to be a developing like a good place because of the passion of the people. Um, and I think we still have that, like lots of local foundations that are just mm-hmm. heavily invested in. In their the giving just donating resources to mm-hmm. local commodities for the people.
0: Yep, Cornerstones comes yeah. to mind. That's yeah. working towards um, preserving and saving historical buildings. Yes, and then everyone who's worked on like Riverfront 2.0 or 3.0 or uh-huh. whatever they're on now. Right, River City Company,
1: uh, the Lindhurst Foundation, Benwood. There's so many um, just nonprofits that are that are just helping the public, mm-hmm. just putting art in, in beautiful common spaces for people to enjoy. Um, so it was that kind of thing that really captured my heart for Chattanooga.
0: Oh, yeah. And now that you tell that story, I cannot imagine the city of Chattanooga without the walking bridge. hmm Like, right. what would our skyline
1: be? <laughs> How would we get from one place to the other? And I don't
0: think the North Shore would have been developed the way Mm-mm. that it is. No, that bridge is, like, essential for connecting those two parts of Chattanooga because, like, I don't want to have to walk across the Market Street Bridge yeah. every time I have no. to do that. no. Ooh. <laughs>
1: no, and just to think about the events that go on on the bridge and the biking and the the runners and I mean, it's
0: just, it's basically its own park. Mm-hmm. Like wine over water wouldn't even be like wine over water. Yeah. It would just be like wine in the park. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, so what made you want to become a writer? <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, that's a good one. Um,
1: I think there are a lot of brilliant things that I could make up about that. But I think I loved early on telling stories. And I remember that I used to um, make up stories for my friends and pretend that I could read their poems. And <laughs> I think I think that we all just enjoyed this fantasy, Mm -hmm. because surely they didn't believe that I really had this palm reading (laughs) gift. But what if they did? (laughs) But I used to make up stories about their future. Um, so I remember always enjoying jotting things down and doing a little that on my own. And, um, I think it's because I also love stories and I love reading. And in my house growing up, authors were revered as like, Mm -hmm. Just the pinnacles of what a human could be, essentially. And books were well-loved in the house where I grew up. Where are you from? So I grew up um, for a while in Memphis, Tennessee. And then when I was nine, we moved to a little town called Lawrenceburg. Okay. And that's on Highway 64 and 43, uh, south of Nashville. Okay. And, yeah. And then I graduated from high school, and I just knew that I was kind of more of a city girl Mm -hmm. than a small-town girl. And Chattanooga is you know, such an easy city to adopt. Um, it's more of a small town, big city.
0: Yeah. It's got everything you could want out of a big city except the traffic.
1: Yeah. And and maybe better public transportation. Oh yeah.
0: But we have, we have time. Oh yeah. It'll come. (laughs) It'll definitely come. Um, so growing up, you mentioned or you just talked about having like books and authors and how revered they were. Um, were there any particular authors that really inspired you growing up, or ones that you kind of gravitated more toward them more than others? I think that
1: I nerded out a lot on on some classics because it felt like that. That's what smart people should do. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> um, so I actually uh, I read. Anne Rand, I remember, like, I I remember reading The Fountainhead at, like, 14 and just really having no idea what it was about, just not being able to really understand, like, the depth of the themes, but being like, this is what I should be reading. I should be enjoying this. Um, I definitely, like, was already a big fan of Shakespeare and a big fan of Jane Austen already, and so when I went to college, I knew, like, I should be an English major um, because I love these stories. I don't know what I want to do. I just want to keep reading these stories. So I don't know, I, I read really widely, and um, as far as inspiring, like, what I'm writing now, uh, there's an author, a Canadian author called Alan Bradley that I just recommend to, like, everybody who asks me this question, because he uh, he spent his whole career doing journalism. He's a fascinating guy. You were talking about him at Creative, at Creative Mornings, Mornings, yes. That's right, because anybody who asks me, like, who who has been inspiring to you? So I started reading this series that he wrote. Um, In his 80s, he started writing, and he's still living, he's still adding to this series, and it's about this 11-year-old chemist prodigy in the 1950s in England, and she's living in this crumbling old family mansion, and um, it's just a charming mystery series. Um, It's so clever and so easy to, like... Just love, yeah. the The main character was really inspiring to me in creating my own main, main character, mm-hmm. I guess.
0: And yeah. we'll we'll dive into your main character a little bit more later. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for that conversation. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about your book. What is it? What is it about? And let I really want to dive into your process because mm-hmm. at one time I think I told you this when we met for coffee. I thought I'd be a novelist and write novels. But now that I actually like know people who are doing it, I want to really dive in and talk about like what that process is like. Yeah,
1: for sure. So I think there are a lot of different ways to go about writing fiction or writing a novel. I think it's really important not to just like slap something down on the page and pretend that it's good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, or pretend that you could just sit down in one afternoon and then not touch something again for two or three years. You know, I, I think a lot of what's, what's important about fiction writing is consistency. Yes. Like anything that you want to be good at. Um, and I think that it's this romanticism of fiction or this romanticism of authors that we have that makes it seem like you're just either good at it or you're not good at it. Mm-hmm. So I hear from a lot of people like, oh, you're a writer. I could never do that. I'm, I'm horrible at writing. As if it's not like a skill, right? That you could learn. Mm-hmm. So, um, I like to deglamorize it, yes, <laughs> as much as possible. Oh, yeah. And I think some people are born storytellers. Oh, absolutely. But I think that that writing well is a craft. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for me, I was I was writing nonfiction for um, the newspaper for a magazine, and writing a novel seemed like this huge task to me, too. But there's a lot of information out there for Mm -hmm. people who want to start writing fiction. Um, A lot of authors are really lovely and kind and giving away information for free. Um, So I I just started learning as much as I could, as Mm -hmm. much as I could get my hands on.
0: What were some of the resources you gravitated towards the most?
1: So there's a writer online called Randy Ingermanson. Okay. And Randy, uh, he co-wrote the book, Fiction Writing for Dummies, which sounds, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it sounds really lame, but he breaks the process down for you into manageable chunks, Mm -hmm. and he's a genius guy, like, he's also a physicist, Um, and then he runs this whole website um, called Advanced Fiction Writing, and... That was really helpful to me. He just talks about lots of different as- aspects of the craft and of marketing. And then there's another writer called K. M. Wyland, and she runs a site like that too. Um, well, the name the name of her site escapes me, but you can Google K. M. Wyland, and she's fantastic as well, okay. just in teaching and and um, just a wealth of resources
0: on her website. Nice. I'll throw those in the show notes for any listeners who want to go check those out yeah. after after you <laughs> listen to this episode. <laughs> when I was still thinking that I would be a novelist one day, I think I started like five or six different novels from the course of like seventh grade through high school. Um, Two of them are actually in my nightstand drawer that (laughs) I keep with me every now and then because like I made really good progress on them. And every now and then I go back to them, like maybe one day, maybe one day Mm -hmm. because for one of them in particular, I built these characters up so much in my head that, like, I felt like I knew them. Yeah, And I still, like, I haven't worked on that (laughs) in, like, six years. And there are times when I'm, like, watching a movie or listening to music or watching something new Uh on Netflix, and Uh I think about those characters, like, what if that happened to this character? How would they respond? Mm -hmm. And it's weird how those characters get so ingrained on you. Yeah. Even when they, like, never come to fruition.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that, to me, is a sign of somebody who is a born storyteller or, you know, because your imagination is obviously so vivid. Um, it's so real to you. Mm-hmm. I, I I wouldn't write it off yet.
0: One day. <laughs> <laughs> um I think another thing that like I struggled with as far as like a process goes is I would have a very clear picture of what I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Like this one that I was just talking about, Um, my friend and I tried to co-write it together and we had an outline of like, okay, chapter one, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Chapter two, this is what's going to happen. And um, we had different parts of the story told from the perspectives of the three main characters mm-hmm. and it switched back and forth depending on like at what point in the story it was at. Mm -hmm. And I had a professor in college tell me, don't be so attached to a specific path. Like if sometimes you're going to start writing and it's going to take you in a different direction and it wasn't what you planned, but you might like it better. It
1: might work better. Listen, I'm, I'm a huge planner in every area of my life. I want I love lists and I love planning and I love itineraries. and But it's kind of like when you go on vacation and um, you, you may plan every single minute of your vacation. I've definitely done that. But you have to be able to roll with like the weather or a museum being closed or just running into like a fun group of people who are like, hey, do you want to come to this party? Um, so that's I think that's how outlining is, too. As you as you're going about it, you have to be able to roll with what with what the characters are kind of telling you they want to do mm-hmm yes and you run into holes that make your outline uh, nonsensical yep
0: <laughs> um today
1: I realized that I was having somebody interview a professor on a Sunday morning who would be at church on a Sunday morning that that character in particular would be at church and so he couldn't be interviewed <laughs> on a Sunday morning and so I had to rewrite like you know a whole scene or two
0: yeah oh yes the challenges and the things you go back and realize yeah so getting a little bit more specific to your book mm-hmm. um I guess this is now when we can actually start to dive into it. So what is your book and what's it about?
1: Yeah, so it's called Murder at Hotel 1911. It's a traditional mystery, kind of in the vein of Agatha Christie, but but modern day. Um, so it's set in Chattanooga, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of hesitant to do that at first because I think it can be cheesy when you keep hearing about things in your own hometown in a book. Um, but I think I found a way to make it seem not cheesy to myself, Um, and then I got to sort of enjoy living in Chattanooga even in my imagination while while I was working and writing. Mm -hmm. Um, So it plays with golden age tropes like um, Agatha Christie and Dorothy Sayers because it takes place in this big old mansion that's like 100 years old, but it's been converted to a hotel, and that's why it's called murder at hotel 1911 the hotel was built in 1911 and it has this eccentric owner and she thinks that everything in the hotel should be themed around the year it sh- it's built so <laughs> um, so all the employees have to dress like servants of that period and she even wants them to sort of adopt the language of like Downton Abbey or something and <laughs> when they're talking to a guest so it's really restrictive for somebody who is like an Enneagram 7 which is what my my main character is she okay. doesn't really she wants she enjoys the like role-playing bit of it, but then she sort of gets tired of it and does whatever she wants to and and flaunts all the rules.
0: I feel like I'd be like, I'm not a type 7, I'm a 2. Yeah. But I feel like I'd be the same way.
1: Yeah. So she doesn't love the rules, but she is the desk clerk there. She works the night shift, which is kind of creepy because she's alone a lot. And her best friend is the chef at the hotel and he cooks all these glamorous gourmet meals for the guests there. And one night this terrible narcissistic business mogul checks in and she has a shellfish allergy and then she dies at dinner. Ooh. And, and so it looks like that the best friend chef has accidentally poisoned the woman with her own allergy, you know, but, um, My main character, her name is Ivy, and Ivy knows that her best friend is like a perfectionist and he wouldn't have made this mistake. So she goes about just trying to prove his innocence. And I love about her that, um, so she struggles with mental health issues that are both inherited and results of things that happened to her, Mm -hmm. past trauma. And I love that she is willing to like exacerbate her own anxiety in order to go about solving this mystery. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, it costs her a lot. Oh, I bet.
0: Yeah. So as you were putting this novel together and writing it, what was your favorite part of like researching and piecing all the pieces of the puzzle together? So I think it's, I love history and I minored
1: in history in college. Um, History is a huge subject to minor in and you never feel like you could, even if you majored in it, I don't think you could learn everything about history. It's a lot. It's a lot, but um you know, the early 20th century in Chattanooga is a, a part of its history that I haven't necessarily known much about, and I think we talk a lot about the Civil War, but not a lot about the early 1900s and mm-hmm. what um, post-Reconstruction looked like and um, what development looked like in the city in that in that period, and it was fun to, uh, to get to think about um, what her family was doing and um, in that, in that time period. So I have them as um, railroad moguls, sort of um, developers, early developers of like the Chad and, and the railroad line. Mm-hmm. And that was fun to sort of get to plant fictional characters in the very real history of our city. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that part a lot.
0: Yeah. What would you say is the hardest part of researching and writing a historical fiction novel? I think actually... I would love to write historical fiction someday, but the reason I didn't make this
1: one totally historical fiction is because of the work. Like, Okay. Um, I made it contemporary so that I could pull out things that I love about history and not have to be totally accurate. Okay, <laughs> because, that's fair. <laughs> because it's like role-playing for these characters and they're not really living in that day. They can, they can mess around a lot with it and not have to be... Um, On target all the time, but I get to reference things from the past. Mm -hmm. And I also, because of this theme of the past that sort of intrudes on the present, it really allows me to um, make some inferences about things that are still the same Mm -hmm. and things that have changed and how that affects the character and how she thinks about her family, um, the things that they had to deal with that she doesn't or the things that, you know, she's still having to deal with like 100 years later, like, mm-hmm. like racism or sexism, things that that are so pervasive in our in our culture. Um, what's hard about historical fiction is like the level of, of research you have to do to get everything really perfect. Um, and then similarly, like with a novel, I think there's a desire for perfection. But with any creative endeavor, I think it's hard to reach perfection. And yes. and I I tend to be a perfectionist. I'm trying to work my way out of that. Same. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. It's not healthy. It's not, you know, it's it's anti-productive. Um so when you're trying to just get something as good as it can be uh without insisting on perfection. I mean, novels have to go through so many drafts and you you have to do so much revision. Um so I did lots of revision for myself and based on feedback from critique partners and um, then revisions with my agent and revisions for my publisher. And it's a lot. Um, so knowing when it's good enough is is really hard and when, mm-hmm. to, when to stop tinkering. And then I think that daily consistency, um, because it's easier to write like a short story, right, where you, you're excited about the project and then you finish it as soon as you're – like you're still excited when you finish it. It, you lose enthusiasm enthusiasm for a project that is really long. yes. um like any like anything that just takes a really long time. And I think driving through when you don't feel enthusiastic and you realize that this is work, it's not just play. It's something that you have to uh, be dedicated about and disciplined, mm-hmm. just like any other uh, field that you might work in.
0: Yeah totally totally relate to the idea of something like never being completely done or like you could keep tinkering with it yeah. forever and ever yes yeah. I'm the same way with like blog posts yeah. and even like podcast episodes when I'm editing I'm like I could make this perfect but <sighs> right. I'm just trying to get content out there
1: yeah and you're so, getting diminishing returns mm-hmm. um
0: yeah so yeah sometimes it's and like even when I was working on those longer projects there. are like scenes that I went back to and rewrote five or six times because I didn't like like two lines of dialogue Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you just have to get to a point where you tell yourself like okay it's fine just keep moving forward if you keep tinkering with this one paragraph you'll never get any further yep um, you mentioned publishing and agents and editing. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a world that I'm super interested in. So can we talk a little bit about working with an agent and the actual like pitching process and selling yeah. your yeah.
1: book to? That was a real anxiety-inducing process for me. <laughs> and I, As I can I, imagine. <laughs> fortunately... Um, have a lot of good people in my life who sort of held my hand through that whole process um, so that I didn't just work myself into a puddle every day over it. Um, you have to be really comfortable with rejection if you want to find an agent in a publisher. So I, I got my agent through the old-fashioned process of querying, what's called querying, and it's done through email these days, mostly. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, so you, um, you draft an email with a pitch of your book, and you make it really perfect, and that takes almost as long as writing a novel. <laughs> and, uh, then, uh, and then you send it out individually to agents that you think are looking for what you are writing, um, you have to have a finished novel to do that. So um, so it, it was a, a difficult process. It was really exciting this time around. Uh, it wasn't the first novel I queried, but it was the second one, um, which is still really good odds. I feel kind of like the survivor of a plane crash <laughs> um, because it's, it's not just a matter of writing a really good book. You have to kind of find the right timing and the right market and, Mm -hmm. um, an agent who doesn't already have a book like that, that they're trying to sell. Um, so there are a lot of, a lot of ways that I feel like I just happened upon this, but it was a lot of hard work, but I also, I also feel like I got lucky in a lot of ways. So my agent's name is Annie Baumke and she's fantastic. I mean, she's, um, she's an advocate for me. She's really hands-on. She's really editorial. And uh, she sold this book to a publisher called Crooked Lane. Um, They're smallish. They're in New York and uh, they're doing some fantastic work so far. They're kind of young. And uh, that's been an interesting process, just working with a publisher Mm -hmm. and and learning kind of how to do that well. Um, I also am I like to have control of things. Yes. But you have to surrender that whole uh, piece of yourself in a mm-hmm. way. You have it's, to really let go.
0: It's a sense of vulnerability. Yes. Because it's you've put your heart and soul into this project and then you're just like giving it to someone else. Yeah. That's yeah. I can't imagine that's easy.
1: Yeah, it's not easy. But uh the trade off of like knowing that somebody's gonna make your manuscript a book.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: that your your name is gonna be on it. Um and I think self publishing is really great too. I'm not um it's not that, that traditional publishing is the only way, but it felt good to me because I get overwhelmed wearing a whole lot of different hats and mm-hmm. feeling like I needed to uh, not only write the book and market it, but also that I might need to um, figure out distribution and yes. shipping. I'm not good at shipping anything. If something <laughs> needs to go to the post office, it's just, it's going to be a while. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, when's your book coming out? So that's August 11th this year. So we're six months out if everything runs on schedule. Mm -hmm. It's already available for pre order. Uh, on Amazon. It already has a book page, which is very exciting. Oh, to that's see. so exciting. Yeah. yeah. And all the major outlets, it's it's available.
0: Nice. And then locally available at like Starline and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah.
1: I hope that uh, Starline will carry it. I'd like to do a reading at Starline. That and, would be uh, awesome. Yeah, because I really enjoy that bookshop and, and mm-hmm. admire what she's doing.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, we've touched on this a few times so far, but you mentioned that your main character, Ivy, Mm -hmm. struggles with anxiety and panic attacks and mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we talked over coffee a couple weeks ago, we talked about how just creative professionals in general struggle so much with mental health and anxiety. And I love that you faced that head on through your main character.
1: Yeah. And I feel like that wasn't Intentional necessarily. I was, I decided to write just like a fun light book, and then it turned into something a lot deeper with more layers that turned out to be really personal for me. Um, so it was cool to explore just different sides of anxiety and different um, ways that that can play out for a person. Um, I initially had her anxiety look a little more like mine, which is mm-hmm. sort of pervasive. And, well, you I don't know when it's going to – I don't know when I'm going to feel anxious. It doesn't, to me, seem triggered. Mm-hmm. But in order to – so truth is stranger than fiction, they say. Um, and I think that fiction doesn't necessarily hold up to – anxiety that doesn't have a logical trigger. Right. And I found that to be true from readers and agents perspectives that, um, when you're writing a fictional character with mental health, um, issues, it needs to make sense to the reader better. Mm -hmm. Um, so as much as my own anxiety is just like, well, you know, we may happen upon it today. Who knows what the day Mm -hmm. holds. Um, hers is more, is more triggered by, uh, things that that have a link to her own personal history. Okay. Yeah. For me, it looks like uh, the overwhelm that I talked about and, and being sort of paralyzed by um, a long to-do list. Yes. Um, in recent years, I've connected it to more like, and I think I've only defined, like, put a name on my anxiety in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And I think naming it has been really helpful and freeing. Like, so many things.
0: It's like a weight off your shoulders where you're like, yes, I finally accept that I have this thing. Now <sighs> yeah. it's time to, like, figure out how to deal with it exactly. or coexist.
1: Exactly. Because you can't deal with it until you've you've defined what it is. Mm-hmm. So it has, you know, I have physical manifestations. So... <laughs> A year and a half ago, I ended up in the emergency room thinking that I had some kind of heart problems. And I think those heart problems are really just caused by anxiety, but they feel very real. Oh, yeah. So, in, you know, insomnia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of creatives have this kind of thing happen. I think so,
0: too. And I think a lot of it is, in my experiences, I think a lot of it is this drive for perfection uh-huh. combined with the fear of rejection. Yeah. Like, I know that not everything I create is going to be loved. Yeah. Whether it's something I make it work, whether yeah. it's a blog post, a podcast episode, um, what it, literally anything else. Yeah. I was a creative writing major, like I got my work ripped to shreds. Yeah. yeah. And I'm thankful for those experiences, but at the same time, like, I never go into a creative review, like not afraid of anything. There's so much
1: risk involved in producing something that you don't know that you can sell. Yes. Or that you don't know will be well, well received. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not like working, um, on, on a commissioned piece when you're writing a novel or, you know, a blog
0: post that you don't know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you don't know how
1: many clicks it's going to get.
0: That and like, for me, poetry was always my weakest, but I was required to take, you know, X x amount of poetry classes as part of my major. Mm-hmm. And I had professors who would want to say like, be more personal, like open up. <laughs> and a, a thing I noticed was so many of the people that I was in classes with had these like darker sides to them that where they had been through like traumas and mm. like all sorts of other very unfortunate events in their lives. And I'm fortunate that I haven't had very many of those experiences. Mm -hmm. Like the bad ex-boyfriend, sure, Mm -hmm. everyone's had one of those, Mm -hmm. but like true traumas. (laughs) And I always felt like, I was like, I don't have that kind of thing to share. Yeah. So I always felt like I have to come up with this like emotional thing to get the approval of my professors. And that's not what writing should be. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and it,
1: it's weird that poetry feels like, it always feels like the narrator is the
0: poet. Yes. And that's not always the case. That but was we something, tend to read that into it. That's something I struggled with so much because, like, I'm such a nonfiction-minded person mm-hmm. that I cannot read something. And not assume. That and not assume. Yeah, yeah. that. And that was also my struggle. So I was uh-huh. like, why don't I just make something up? And I'm like, no, people assume that it's about me and it's not. And I'm ugh. yeah. So there's, yeah, so I think
1: a lot of anxiety stems from just not knowing how something will be received, mm-hmm. or, you know, loving your work and then hating it, um, and wanting to rip it to shreds, shreds. And I think a lot of it is also that creatives work in a very solitary manner yes <laughs> you know we're we're in inside our heads and that lends itself to all kinds of the internal never stops it, yeah yeah that you know the the critic that lives in our heads that we have to um silence in order to mm-hmm. get words on a page or or paint on a canvas um so we I, are our own worst enemies yeah yeah and I think that in community is where we find solace really. In community, we find other people to say, oh, me too. And it's that me too that helps us to realize that we're not actually, quote, crazy. Right.
0: Um, Absolutely. That support system changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And as creatives, that's that's something that whether you're a writer, a painter, a poet, whatever you are, just having that support system of other creatives Mm -hmm. to... Help build you up and help help you and support you when things aren't going so great or yeah. to help you, like, make your art better.
1: Oh, absolutely with the making it better. Um, yeah,
0: I have a critique group
1: locally, and without their help, I really wouldn't have finished this novel, I think. Um, or at least wouldn't have finished anything that was yeah. worth Worth selling.
0: So a critique group, I'm flashing back to my workshop classes in college. Is it like, <laughs> do, do you like exchange we excerpts yeah. and then everyone reads it and then brings it back and yeah. talks about it? Yes. Oh, that's so cool.
1: But unlike a college group, um, it's not so much about competition and making each other look bad to make yourself look good. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Oh, so much of that in college.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so it's a really kind and lovely group. So Mm -hmm. they do say negative things, but they say them with the intention of being helpful. Yes. And that makes all the difference. And that is a skill. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we have a lot of fun too. We're getting ready to take another retreat here in the spring where we'll uh, go to the mountains and we'll hike and we'll sit in the hot tub and Mm -hmm. um, yeah, community is is where it's at.
0: That's another thing that I think is so important on like the mental health aspect that we were talking about is just finding time or making time to distance yourself from it. Like if you start to feel like a disdain towards your work or frustration, just... Put it away yeah. and then step away, whether it's a weekend retreat or, I don't know, a day or a couple mm-hmm. hours or whatever. That mm-hmm. has been a game changer for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Rest and knowing when to to shut it off. Yes. And exercise, you mm-hmm. know, along with rest, like exercise has real, real benefits. So I walk my dog every morning and, uh, you know, I, I definitely think that that helps. Is there
0: anything we haven't covered that you wanted to talk about?
1: I guess in the light of of like
0: resources for
1: creatives, um, yes, who are who are looking at mental health, there are a couple supplements that I've tried recently that I find really helpful with okay. like focus and anti anxiety. Yes. Um, It's really new for me. And um, I know you've talked about CBD on your podcast before. Mm -hmm. But CBD has been interesting. And there's this local place called Hemp House um, where I went in and I was just like, look, this is what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And she helped me pick out a supplement that um, it's all of their stuff actually is like grown in Tennessee on Tennessee farms. And
0: um, I'm so glad that that's
1: allowed now. Yeah. So that's been really cool. There's another product called L-theanine.
0: Um, Yes, I take that. Do you? Yes. And so have you found that helpful? A little bit. Um, My friend told me about it a year or so ago. Um, She takes it um, when she's like feeling stressed out at work. And she told me about it to take before flights. Oh. Because I'm not like an anxious flyer, Mm -hmm. but I'm not exactly the most comfortable on a plane. Mm -hmm. So I got it uh, about a year ago before I had a string of trips. Yeah. And it does help.
1: Yeah. That's
0: awesome. You can get it for like 10 bucks on Amazon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about meditation? Do you meditate? (laughs) I should,
0: (laughs) I I feel a little bit that way too. Like sometimes I'm
1: good at it. Like sometimes I'm on the yoga ship and I'm doing well. And then I, I kind of just fall off. Um, and I, I feel that way with meditation when I'm doing well, I'm doing it. I think it's helpful. Um, consistency is hard.
0: We used to do weekly meditation at work and then that kind of fell off. And then we all, we had like a company (laughs) Headspace account Mm -hmm. that I Mm -hmm. had like logged into my phone. And then when I updated my phone or something, it, um, logged me out. Now I can't (laughs) remember the login info for it. Yeah. I love Headspace. Um, I think that that makes it really accessible for people. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of different options. They have like shorter ones that are like two or three minutes and then like 15 minute ones. Mm -hmm. But what I loved were the sleep casts Mm -hmm. that were like meditations for falling asleep.
1: Me too. Those are the most useful to me. Yes. And it would definitely put me right to sleep.
0: Same. I don't think I ever made it like 10 minutes into one.
1: I was always afraid it might just keep running and my phone would just crap out in the middle of the night because it was still running. But... as long as I was asleep, I didn't care about that. Yeah. Um, also since you have like a podcast audience, you know, if they're, if they like other podcasts, um, there's one called mental illness happy hour. And what I love about it is the guy is so down to earth and real. And he interviews a lot of creatives actually about how their mental health challenges have impacted their work. Um, whether they've like used that in their work to like make it better or how it's just how it's challenged their process. And, um, I find the vulnerability really healthy, Mm -hmm. like in our culture of, of looking really perfect for Instagram, that there are people out there who say like, actually I'm not perfect and I have a lot of struggles and here they are. Let's talk about them.
0: Oh, I could do a whole other podcast episode (laughs) on that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's a good one. And then especially for writers and creatives, um, your listeners are probably familiar with the Writing Excuses podcast. It's, okay. it's great. And um, it's hosted by professional authors that who you would probably recognize. Um, and they say it's 15 minutes because you don't have a lot of time and uh, oh, I've, I've dropped it. There's a great slogan. Check out Writing Excuses and you'll hear their slogan. It's really cute. Um, but it's short and, and pithy and like Full of helpful things, and usually it's about the craft of writing. But they have one episode that's called uh, Writing and Personal Health. Okay. So it's not just mental health, but they do interview an author on there. His name's Robinson Wells, and he has like severe panic disorder and agoraphobia and depression and even um, developed self-harm, and he developed all of this in his 30s. Oh, wow. So it was a surprise to him, mm-hmm. and it really impacted his writing life. So he talks about that a lot, and that's really helpful. And then they also talk about physical health for people who write or work at a desk and um, just taking care of yourself. I think a lot of the time we think... I can't injure myself sitting at a desk, and yet we can. Yes.
0: <laughs> it's not the same as, like, tripping and breaking an arm, but... Yeah. It's... I That's the thing that I'm trying to be more conscious of is I have a desk job. Yeah. So, like, on days when the weather's nice, I try to get up and take a walk, like, twice a day just around the block or... Yes. Like standing
1: desks. Yes, standing desks and those little pedal things that you can get. I haven't done that yet, but I'm sure for some people
0: Mm it's helpful. (laughs) Oh, where you like put it under your desk and it's like a little bike. Yeah, a
1: little treadmill for your feet. I've seen those on Amazon. I think I could use it in the like breaks between writing.
0: Yeah. Not while I'm
1: actually typing. I don't think
0: I'm that coordinated. We've got (laughs) like a half treadmill in our office that Uh, I think was left for dead when another company moved out yeah. and we took it and it only goes up to like two miles an hour <laughs> but we have it so if you need to like walk or if you need to walk to get your brain going people uh-huh. use it but I have such a hard time like walking and typing at the same time <laughs> yeah I, uh-uh. no I can't do it but other people use it and they just like knock stuff out and I'm like more power to you that's fantastic yes it's yeah. great All right. I think we've covered everything book and writing wise. Oh, it's time for the jar. The jar. If you are a faithful Nougabelle podcast listener, you know all about the jar. But for new listeners, this is my mason jar filled with colorful pieces of paper and fun little things for us to talk about. I wish they could see how colorful it is. It's it's really a next level. I will post another picture on Instagram because I actually am going to need some new questions soon. So if y'all would like to... Find me on Instagram at The Nougat and leave me ideas for questions. I'll take them. But we can each draw some and then okay. answer for each other. Okay. What's something about you that most people don't know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, be, be clever. Be clever. Hurry. <laughs> um, so I'd say it's, it's that I'm, I'm actually a shy person. Um, I'm an extrovert I'm like a shy extrovert so I, I feel that <laughs> really I do love talking to people but I don't it's it's a challenge for me to meet new people so I have sort of had to work on that as a skill mm-hmm. more than something I'm
0: naturally inclined to and do. creative mornings is a great place it, to is. <laughs> it is good I feel like I meet someone new at least like one person every time I go but I always see like wonderful people that I already know that I don't get to see so yeah. I can catch up with them and yeah and it's hard
1: to not just like nestle into the people that you know mm-hmm. and it's you know branching out and, and networking is is a skill yes a it is
0: thing. um one thing that most people don't know about me is I won my fifth grade spelling bee Oh, I won my fourth grade one for, for my school in fourth grade. What was your winning word? I don't remember. Do mine, you remember yours? Mine was kindergarten because I got there and was like K-N-D-E-R-G-A-R. And then in my head as like a 10 year old, I was like, crap, is it D or T? <laughs> I'm 10. I'm 10. It's a T. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's awesome. So yeah,
1: fifth grade spelling bee champ. Okay. Mine says one new place that you'd love to visit in 2020 is...
0: Um. Well, one new place I have gone in 2020 is Colorado. Mm. I went for work a couple weeks ago, and that was the first time I'd ever been there. And it was awesome. Definitely a different landscape. Um, But if we're talking like a personal trip, I would really love to go to a beach again. Mm. I haven't been to a beach in years, and I miss it. And I'm not going to be picky. I just want to go to a beach. Actually, I will be picky. North Carolina. My boyfriend's from Alabama, so he grew up going down to the Gulf Coast. I grew up going to North Carolina beaches. He grew up going to the Gulf Coast. so Very different. Beach. (laughs) Yeah. I love
1: the beach. I love that answer. Um, So I'm going to Ireland this year. Ooh. (laughs) That's a new place for me. And I really can't think of anything more exciting than that. Um, that's happening in October, so I have most of the year to look forward to it. Oh, that'll be, that's such a good time to go. Yeah, I hear that. We'll Where see.
0: in Ireland are you going? We're staying in, uh,
1: just outside Limerick. Okay. Which is kind of in the middle of the Republic of Ireland. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, it's like an hour from everything.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. How long are you going to be there?
1: A week. Oh,
0: that's yeah. so fun. Yeah. Oh man, I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, thank you. I'll Instagram all those pictures. Yay! Yay! One movie or TV show you won't believe I've never seen. Ooh, okay. Oh, I think I have lots of them. I think I have
1: lots of them. I've never seen Game of Thrones. Me either. Okay. And I've never seen, um, well, we'll just go with Game of Thrones. I think there are a bunch of them. Mm Mm-hmm. If something gets really popular before I watch it,
0: then I think like, oh, well, I've missed the boat. Me too. It's too late. <laughs> That's how I was with Game <laughs> of Thrones. Like all of a sudden people were like super into it. Yeah. In the later seasons. And I was just like, yeah. Okay. I guess it's too late for me now. <laughs> yeah.
1: What's another one that you feel like everybody's seen that you haven't seen?
0: Um, The Office. Oh, wow. Not at all. I've seen one episode. Wow.
1: And was it like, was it not like, one chip out of a bag, Kate? You didn't feel like
0: you needed more? I, I guess not. Um, maybe that, I, I mentioned earlier, I may or may not edit that part out, I haven't decided yet, um, <laughs> that I'm just now watching Seinfeld for the yeah. first time, so maybe I'll give The Office a try after that if Netflix doesn't take it off.
1: I have a friend, Matt, who thinks that it's generational that people either
0: like Parks and Rec or The Office.
1: Do you like Parks and
0: Rec? I do. Okay, I think that that might be it. But I was also a late bloomer on Parks and Rec. I only watched that in the last six months.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I was a late bloomer on that one too, but I have a little more time on you. Okay. Um. Okay, my question is, <laughs> one trend I hope dies in 2020 is... Oh, man. <laughs> I'm glad I have time to think about Let's this one. Let's
0: see. I think this one's kind of like on its way out. Okay. But I'm going to say it just for posterity's sake. Uh-huh. Rainbow everything when it comes to food. Rainbow everything. Okay, give us an example. So I'm, I'm not going to lie. When I was in New York, I got a rainbow bagel. It was not life-changing, but I got a rainbow bagel just so I could say I did. Were the stripes like going through the bagel? Mm-hmm. So the dough was colored in like rainbow colors and then it was like twisted together so it was like tie-dye.
1: I think I'm not trendy enough to have realized that that was a trend and I'm kind (laughs) of I'm actually kind of intrigued like I think that's really important like impressive to get all those colors in the bagel. I'll show
0: you pictures. Okay
1: um maybe it's not as impressive as I imagine
0: it. But I've seen like rainbow hot chocolate or like (laughs) rainbow all kinds of things and I'm just like you know what is that really necessary? Yeah so this is just stealing
1: Like, it's riffing off of yours in a big way, but Pumpkin Spice I'm done with.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm done
1: with everything Pumpkin Spice as soon as we hit, like, August. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we can do better, like... It was, it's good. It is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that it's not delicious, but could we not have some like caramel apple flavored things mm-hmm. in the fall?
0: Dial it back a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I don't know.
1: What What about fig? Could we revisit a fig oh, flavor? Oh
0: man. Or um, any other fall crops? <laughs> oh yeah. I'm starting to get more into fall veggies. Mm. I'm usually not a veggie person, but I'm getting more into them and I'm like, man, these are so underappreciated. Yeah. That's good for you. Let's go one more each. All right. Whew, so much pressure. Who or what is your spirit animal? Okay. This is hard.
1: This is really hard. I should have thought this through when I wrote it. Can I say Kristen Bell? Yes, as a spirit animal because yes. I feel like she is so inspiring and I used to I didn't follow her when she was in her, like, Veronica Mars days, Mm -hmm. and I'm sad now because I think, I mean, it's, famous people are so accessible now on Instagram, but her Instagram stories will be like, my dog pooped behind the washer and dryer again, (laughs) and I have to pull it out and clean it. And, like, she shows you this whole thing, and she makes her Instagram videos with no makeup on sometimes. She's very real. She's so real, and she's so kind, and I just, yeah, she's
0: my spirit animal. I love that um oh let's see my spirit animal well I have a cat I don't know if she's over there anymore or not but sometimes I feel like she's my spirit animal yeah oh yeah she's beautiful and she's gray gray animals mm-hmm. are great. um yeah we're gonna go with Maggie cat as my spirit animal Maggie because cat. she's loving and friendly when she wants to be or when she needs to be mm-hmm. and at other times she's a lot like me she like gets her people out and then she's like nope i'm done that's all <laughs> i need i'm gonna go be an introvert for a while and i'm yeah. just like i feel you maggie yeah
1: all right round us out what you okay, got Okay, last one no pressure but what was
0: your dream job as a child television meteorologist wow it's so specific i love it too did you practice in your room i did Did you practice in front of your family? uh, Did I? I might have. But my parents bought me big, like, dry erase maps. Mm -hmm. One of the U.S. and one of the world. And I would use it to track, like, hurricanes and storm systems and stuff. Wow. That's very cool. And then I realized that that weather involved a lot of science (laughs) that I was just not into. And I was like... yeah. Well, maybe not. But do you
1: think today that meteorologists are doing that much science? Do you think they're doing it or do you think that they're just Googling it?
0: You know, I've thought about that. (laughs) Like, are they the ones really like figuring the weather stuff out? Or is it being like funneled to them and they're just telling the world? Because it feels like that that is a degree you can get. And Mm -hmm. to get that degree,
1: you would have to do a lot of science. Yes. But it feels like you could do the weather report and not have to know the things. Um, I've thought about that. Yeah. I mean like Paul Barris, I know he knows what's happening. Yes. But I'm not sure everybody knows. Yeah. Um, okay. I think I had a bunch of different ones, but maybe I just didn't know myself well. I do really love rules so much. And for a while I wanted to be a police officer. Okay. I remember practicing pointing a gun and, (laughs) um, wanting to be able to handcuff people. Um, you know, just, I think it was attractive to me to be like, powerful and in charge and mm-hmm. and like be able to stop bad people from doing things like justice was attractive to me.
0: Interesting. <laughs> I like that. I've never met anyone who said <laughs> I've, I've had this question in the jar several times and that has not come up yet. Yeah. I like that though. Oh well, good. Yes.
1: <laughs> I mean I also wanted to be like an actress for a while. Yeah. Which is, you know,
0: I wanted to tradition. be a vet until I realized that it involved being around animals and I can't say no to animals and I was like oh yeah
1: I think I, that's that's pretty com- my sister felt that way too like she loves animals too much to hurt them
0: yep that or like having to put them to sleep or yeah. like wanting to just adopt all of them I, I figured out very quickly that I would not last as a vet yeah yeah I get
1: that Yep. Well, this was so much fun. Yes, we
0: are going to wrap up there. Um, before we officially sign off, can you give where people can find you on the internet and find your book and where they can pre-order it?
1: Right, okay. So my website is audreycowan.com, A-U-D-R-E-Y-K-E-O-W-N. Thanks, Scottish immigrants. <laughs> um, um, My book's on Amazon and everywhere else. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and... Um, the book, again, is called Murder at Hotel 1911.
0: And it'll be out August 11th.
1: August 11th,
0: 2020. Awesome. I will throw all that in the show notes so everyone can find you and follow you. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. This has been another fabulous episode of the Nougat Bell Podcast. Woo-hoo. Thank y'all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love if you left me a review on Apple or Spotify or whatever platform you listen on. If you have any questions, suggestions for the jar, I am all ears for those. Thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you on the next one.